Today's podcast is brought to you by Fish Window Cleaning, the largest professional window cleaning company in the country. With over 200 locally owned and operated franchises, you are sure to be able to find an office near you where they can help you brighten your world at work or at home. For professional window cleaning at residential or commercial properties, look up Fish Window Cleaning at fishwindowcleaning.com. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. We work through all the books. Alyssa hasn't read any of them. I've read them all a few times. And that is who and what we do. Yes, sir. It's a good time. Today's, today's episode, we have part two of Summer Night. Can I get ch- chapters six through ten of Summer Night? That is book four, published in 2002, obviously by the man, the myth, Jim Butcher. How you doing today, Ice? Doing good. I was telling you off the air, I got more plants. I have a plant problem. Just like I have a fabric problem. And uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful day here in sunny Northern California, Central California, as you would say. Uh, the Bay Area is Central California. I mean, it's just, it's just geography. It's in the middle. NorCal's like Redding. The Bay is like basically Stockton. Yeah, I, I know. North Central. Because Central Coast is, is Santa Barbara. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, I'm having a great day. It's a gorgeous day here. And... Uh, I don't want to go back to work tomorrow, but alas. <laughs> How about, How about you? Things must come to an end. Oh, man. I am doing great. I went on a bike ride today, okay. and I think the GPS screwed up, but I'll take it. I am currently, for the first time ever, I have a KOM, a king of the mountain, on a segment in Strava, which is a... Uh, like a fitness tracking app, but means I have the fastest time ever on a mile stretch of road. <laughs> Jeez. Look at me. That's exciting. I, I mean, we were, hu- we were hustling, but I'm mm. not so sure we were going 20 miles an hour um, for that stretch. But you know what? I will take it. My name is in lights. What can you do? <laughs> Temporarily, at least. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, you know. Anything to motivate you to get back out there for the next time, I guess. Heck yeah. Uh, well, it was a good ride. So we stretched it out just a little bit. Oh, I really want to get back into doing athletic workout type things on a regular basis mm. as opposed to not doing that. But Same. We'll see how it progresses. The goal this week is to go find a gym. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because every, you know, the last two jobs I've had, three jobs I've had, uh, gym membership was either discounted through the union or something like that. And here it's not. So I got to go find the, the best deal on my own. Oh, yeah. I'm to be fucking grown up. It sucks. A lot of my coaching was connected to schools. So I would mm-hmm. have access to strength and mm-hmm. uh, cardio equipment. Um, 
And when I moved to Canada, we didn't have any of that. So I joined a gym and it was a 24 hour gym with like a key card access. And I was watching West coast games. I had like a long distance communications that I was getting up to every night. And so I'd make, I'd come home from work, make dinner, make my phone calls, watch the baseball. And then I'd go at like one thirty, and it was incredible. I would just go basically be me and one other person. And I would just crush. I was in like the best shape of my life. It was awesome. Nice. And then I'm not. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right. So exciting times here. We're, um, I guess I'll catch us up here and you can get us into the breakdown. All right. So last week we had, a, it was kind of all over the place. And it was a, a chunk of the book that really didn't focus on one thing. So we had a reign of toads in Chicago, which was certainly perplexing. Mm-hmm. And then... We had Mab waltzing into Harry's office trying to hire him for a case. And apparently she has purchased the bond that Leah held over him. So his godmother no longer has the power over him that she showed in grave peril, presumably. And now Mab, the queen of air and darkness, monarch of the winter she, can just poke and prod and make Harry stab himself whenever she wants. And if that isn't <laughs> ideal, we move into the White Council meeting. They're here to discuss the situation with the war with the Red Court of Vampires. And we've just found out that the Red Court has made an offer for peace. In exchange, they want one wizard, slightly used. <laughs> and on that revelation that, that are their, those are their terms for peace... We move into chapter six and the dulcet tones of Alyssa C. Mosier. <laughs> and Harry says, me? Yes, Dick Ortega writes that you, Wizard Dresden, are considered a criminal by the Red Court. In order to end this conflict, they wish to extradite you to an area of their designation for trial. A resolution that is perhaps distasteful, but may also be only just. So everybody gets pissed off. Uh, ah, rabble, 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 rabble. Exactly. There's different rabbles and rousing and, you know, cursing in different languages among wizards. And Merlin is trying to bring everybody to order. And he sends a concussion out that Harry feels in his, as the water in his glass uh, spills on his flannel bathrobe. And Mar- Marilyn's, Merlin says, order. I am well aware of the implications of the situation, but lives are at stake. Your lives and my own. We must consider our options with the utmost gravity. What options, Ebenezer demanded. We are wizards, not a herd of frightened sheep. Will we give one of our own to the vampires now and pretend that none of this has happened? Lafortier says that... You know, you've read Dresden's report. You see, you've heard what he has done. And they, he says that they have a grievance. The situation was clearly a manipulation, a scheme to force Dresden to those actions in hope of killing him. Then he should have been smarter, Lefortier said, his tone flat. Politics is not a game for children. Dresden played and was beaten. It is time for him to pay the price so the rest of us may live in peace. But Harry said he doesn't play politics. And so this bothered me because they sent him in there knowingly. 
You know, they, they sent him there as their emissary, as their representative. I mean, he was obligated to go, as he said to Susan, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think anyone reached out to him and nudged him in that direction. I okay. think when he was there, he was representing them, but mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily... I think they're smart enough to not want Harry Dresden to represent <laughs> their interests in most cases, but... Yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like it annoyed me because it's like he didn't even want to be there. Like, but yeah. he was there because he was supposed to. Well, no, he he was he was obligated to be there, like he said, but he was planning on not going. He was there because the case took him in that direction, right? He wanted to investigate mm-hmm. and try to see if he could get the the magical energy. So certainly, if he's obligated to be there and he fucks up when he's there, you need to. It is. I agree with you. Your your point is still sound. Yeah. Um. But I do want to give the Merlin some credit here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those things where I was just like, you know what, fuck them. Um. But then, uh, then Joe says, "Peace cannot be brought." Sorry, that sounded awful. Then Joe says to Ebenezer, "Peace cannot be bought, Aleron. History teaches that lesson. I have learned it." You should have two. Laforte is a douchebag. I don't know what you're babbling about, but... And Harry, good old Harry, rolls his eyes and stands up and says, He's talking about the American tribes losing their land to white settlers, dolt. I figured Ebenezer would leave the insult out of the translation, but there were more, snifles, but there were more stifled snorts from brown robes around the room. And about Europe's attempt to appease Hitler before the Second World War. Both attempted to purchase peace with compromise, and both got swallowed up bit by bit. Marlon gets mad at him because he didn't get recognized. But this is a really strong indication of Harry as a person, where he got this right away. He understands what's going on. Maybe he's not such a fool in politics after all. He sees that this is a, a dangerous road to go on. And Harry says, sorry here, I was figuring it. we had a responsibility to protect people. What was I thinking? We will protect no one, Wizard Dresden, if we are dead, the Merlin snapped. Be silent or be removed. Martha Liberty shook her head. Merlin, it seems that, Merlin, it seems clear that we cannot simply hand one of our own over to the Red Court because of their demands. Despite past differences with council policy, Dresden is a fully ranked wizard, and given his performance in recent years, he seems well deserving of the title. And then Lafortier puts him into question. He says, Wizard Harry Dresden, apprentice to wizard Justin de Morin, apprentice to wizard Simon Pietrovich. I wonder how the Red Court learned of Petrovich's defenses to bypass them so completely, Dresden. So he thinks Harry colluded with the Red Council, or sorry, the Red Court. And so I'm not super interested in the collusion angle, just because obviously we are inside Harry's brain and we know he didn't. Yeah. But I do like how they expand the apprentice tree there yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, just a piece of information we never had. And it's just slipped in there and we move on. But it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, it is, it, and it's it's a bit of information we didn't have. Even though per- Peter, I'm sorry, even though Harry really hadn't heard much about him, because when he when they're telling the story, he's like, "Who? Who is that?" Um, 
But Harry thinks this is laughable. And Lefortier takes insult with his laugh. He says, you see what contempt, you see in what contempt he holds this council? His position as a wizard? Dresden has constantly endangered us all with his obtuse indiscretion, his reckless disregard for secrecy and security. Even if it was someone else who betrayed Pietrovich and his students to the Red Court, Dresden is as guilty of their murder as if he himself had cut their throats. Let the consequences of his decisions fall upon him. And Harry says that it is impossible, or at least impractical, as he had not broken any of the laws of magic. He says he is a full wizard. By council law, he is therefore entitled to an in-depth investigation and trial, neither of which would provide any kind of workable solution anytime soon. I, I like that phrasing there by Harry, because mm -hmm. he's basically like, that's impossible. Well, I mean, you could, you actually probably could find a way, but it's impractical. Like he's, yes. he, he's defending himself. He's like, that's, you can't do this to me. Well, I guess you probably could, but. Yeah. And, and that's the thing where, but it's okay. Okay. It's not impossible, but yeah, he just he can't is, help himself for being honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing about Harry is that he kind of realizes that nothing's really impossible in this world. That's true. I mean, shit. Um, I, I mean, it was raining toads. Um, and this is where Lefortier brings his status as a wizard into question. Tornado, tornadoes in Louisiana. Exactly. <laughs> and he said, and Lefortier says, I recommend the council that his appointment to this. I recommend the council that his appointment to his stole was a de facto decision based upon circumstantial evidence. He has never stood trial, never been judged worthy by his peers. Like hell I haven't, Harry said. I beat Justin Amorne in a duel to the death. Is that not trial enough for you? And Lavordier, again, total fucking douchebag. Whether he was defeated in an open duel or burned in his sleep is another matter entirely. And so he says, let the council vote upon the status of this madman. Let us end this foolishness and return to our lives. And holy shit, Harry hadn't thought about that. Because here's the thing. If he's no longer a wizard, he doesn't have he doesn't have the the protection of the accords and the laws, and the council would be obligated to turn him over to the red court. And so this this makes Harry nervous. Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of information to what these trials seem to consist of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, entail. That's a way better word. That's why you, <laughs> you make the big buck. One large novelty-sized dollar. Um, the It seems like it's just when they, they, they decide you're ready, you're ready. Who's making that decision, right? Because is that mm -hmm. not trial enough, right? Like how... Or maybe there's a set trial and you can circumvent that by doing something special. Um, I just wonder... The structure of it all yeah i do too and and that's we obviously it's not presented here at all but we do know that it's very important and so merlin is going on and on about how let those who have let those who would have him keep his stole vote for and those who would rather he his status be returned to apprentice so he wouldn't completely be kicked out but he would be go back to apprentice and Ebenezer stops. He says, I invoke my right as member of the senior council to reduce the vote to the senior council. 
And the Merlin says, on what grounds? On the grounds that there exists a great deal of information about this matter, of which the council at large is unaware. It would be impractical to attempt to explain it all. So Ebenezer knows the ins and outs, and he's protecting Harry. He really is. And Joe seconds him, and Martha thirds him. So we get through the vote. The Merlin claims, my interests lie in preserving the health and safety of those upon this console and of the communities of mankind in general. I vote against Dresden's validity as an, as an initiate wizard of the council. I just feel like that my interests lie in preserving the health and safety is just such glad-handing bullshit because he obviously doesn't. Yeah, he, I mean, he obviously doesn't give a fuck, but he also says, and, the com and of the communities of mankind in general. Mm -hmm. Harry started this to save a human being. Mm -hmm. That's why we're in this setting. So do you give a shit about humans or not? Or not. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Very yeah. good point. I mean, he could also be taking the Bianca angle where he says, is one person worth it, right? Yeah. But how, how many humans is, is worth it, right? Like, what's the cutoff? Apparently it's more than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, it's just, I don't. I'm not a fan of the Merlin nor the Lafortier because Lafortier says, as do I, for the same reasons. Ebenezer spoke next. I've lived this, with this young man. I know him. He's a wizard. I vote to preserve his status. Little brother tears from his perch, and he agrees, obviously. And the old wizard stroked the raccoon's tail with one hand. My instincts about this man tell me what he comports himself as a wizard should. I vote in favor of his status. And Martha Liberty also votes in favor. Harry three, bad guys two. I turned my eyes to ancient Mai. This tiny little woman. And she says, no wizard should so blatantly misuse his status as a member of this council, nor should he be as ir irresponsible as Harry Dresden has been with the use of his art. I vote against his retention of wizard status. Three to three. And the last remaining person is a tall Tall man standing in the corner, covered in, in, a, in his dark robe and a deep cowl over his head with the shadow masking his face. He's seven feet tall and thin. Yeah, he, yeah he's not just tall. He's taller than Harry, which is not something that yeah. happens very often. He's a tall, skinny bro. And gatekeeper, what say you? I leaned forward in my chair, my mouth dry. If he voted against me, I was betting a warden would zap me unconscious before the sound of his voice died away. Harry knows they'll act quickly. It's almost as though this was planned. And the gatekeeper says, It rained toads this morning. A baffled silence followed. It became, a moment later, a baffled mutter. Gatekeeper, the Merlin said, his voice more urgent, How do you vote? With deliberation, the gatekeeper said. It rained toads this morning. That bears consideration. And for that, I must hear what word returns with the messenger. The Forte eyed the gatekeeper and said impatiently, What messenger? What are you talking about? The back doors of the theater burst open. A couple of wardens bring a guy in. He looks like he's gotten the shit beat out of him. <laughs> and this is my courier to the winter court, Ancient Mai stated. He insisted. They wanted to take him for treatment, but he in insisted that he come to tell her. Where did you find him? The Merlin asked. Outside. Someone drove up in a car and pushed him out of it. We didn't see who it was. Did you get the license number? I asked. 
Both wardens turned to eye me. Then they both turned back to Merlin. Neither of them have gotten it. Maybe license plates were too new a concept. They weren't even a whole century old yet, after all. Hell spells, I muttered. I would have gotten it. I just love that. Like, I would have gotten it. Bastards. Uh, Harry's take on the the whole thing is modernizing this ancient bullshit. They're talking in Latin, but they don't get, you know, get the license plate. Bringing the White Council into the 21st century. Yes, most definitely. And, And he's mentioned that on multiple occasions. And this is just yet another, another element. Um, and so we learn what this, this courier said. He said that Queen Mab bade him tell the council she will permit them travel through her realm, provided one request is fulfilled. Merlin arched a brow, fingers touching his beard thoughtfully. What does she request? She did not tell him. She said only that she had already made her desires known to one of the council. I didn't pay them any mind. The ancient's translation of the messenger's words shocked me enough to keep me from so much as breathing, much less speaking. When I could move, I turned my back to the table. I leaned forward and banged my head gently on the wooden surface several times. (laughs) I understand that completely. And the gatekeeper comes up to him and says very quietly, you know what the rain of toads means. His English had a gentle accent, something part British and something else. Indian, Middle Eastern? I nodded. Trouble. Trouble. Though I could not see his face, I suspected a very slight smile had colored the word. The cowl turned toward the other senior council members, and he whispered, There isn't much time. Will you answer me one question honestly, Dresden? And Harry checks the people at his table, and and the... The gatekeeper enacts a veil of some sort where I'm not, I don't quite understand what it is, but it's like a cone of, like a cone of silence. Cone of silence exactly. <laughs> and I kind of like, I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. But he senses this in Harry and he leaned down closer and whispered in my ear, has Mab chosen an emissary? I struggled not to let the surprise show in my face, but I'm not always good at hiding my feelings, <laughs> which I love. In any case, there was no sense lying to the guy whose vote would decide my fate. I nodded to him. Yes. Precarious balance. The council can afford neither to keep you nor to cast you out. I don't understand. You will. He drew the cow back down and murmured, I cannot prevent your fate, wizard. I can only give you a chance to avoid it on your own. What do you mean? Cannot you see what is happening? I frowned at him. A dangerous imbalance of forces, the White Council in town, Mab meddling in our affairs. Or perhaps we are meddling in hers. Why has she appointed a mortal emissary, young wizard? Because someone up there takes a malevolent amusement in my suffering? Balance, the gatekeeper corrected me. It is all about balance. Redress the imbalance, young wizard. Resolve the situation. Prove your worth beyond a doubt. I think that's cool. Just I he's an interesting we don't know a lot about him obviously yet, but he's interesting and I like the way he holds back his judgment. Everybody else is making snap judgments on Harry, but he's holding it back. He's like you have to prove yourself. And yeah, and the way he stood off to the side while every other of the six council mem- uh, senior council members were, you know, getting their words in edgewise and he 
is obviously more deliberative. Like Harry said, he, he didn't even rec- notice he was there. Um, and he's one of the most powerful, one of the seven most powerful was, was human beings in the world, presumably. Mm-hmm. Mortals. And uh, I do love how he's, and they trip back up to the podiums. Podi. Podia. Whatever. Goddamn correspondence course. <laughs> I was like, Harry's, but I'm not always good at hiding my feelings for the yes. understatement of the week. Oh, goodness. I think that's spectacular. Um, and uh, the gatekeeper says, we have set our feet upon a darkling path, a road that will only grow more dangerous. Our first steps are critical. We must make them with conscience. Sorry, we must make them with caution. He turns to Ebenezer and says, You love the boy, Wizard McCoy. You would fight to defend him. Your own dedication to our cause is not inconsiderable. I respect your choice. He turned toward Lafortier. You question Dresden's loyalty and his ability. You imply that only a bad seed can grow from bad soil. Your concerns are understandable, and if correct, then Dresden poses a major threat to the council. And he turns to Ancient Mai. You question his ability to use his power wisely, to judge between right and wrong. You fear that Dumornay's teaching may have twisted him in ways even he cannot yet see. Your fears, too, are justified. Honored Merlin, you know that Dresden has drawn death and danger down upon the council. You believe that if he is removed, so will be that danger. Your fears are understandable, but not reasonable. Regardless of what happens to Dresden, the Red Court has struck a blow against the Council too deep to be ignored. A cessation of current hostilities would only be the calm before the storm. And he says, I choose to base my vote upon a trial. A test that will lay to rest the fears of one side of the issue or prove falsely placed the faith of the other. What trial, the Merlin asked. Mab, the gatekeeper said. Let Dresden address Queen Mab's request. Let him secure the assistance of Winter. If he does, that should lay to rest your concerns regarding his ability, Le Fortier. Should he accomplish this, he says to Ancient Mai, it should show that he is willing to accept responsibility for his mistake and to work against his own best interests for the greater good of the Council. It should satisfy your concerns as to his judgment to make the mistakes of youth is no crime but not to learn from them, is. She agrees. He says to Marilyn, such a success may do much to alleviate the pressure of the coming war. If securing routes through the Never Never places the Red Court at a severe enough disadvantage, it may even enable us to avoid it entirely. Surely it could prove Dresden's dedication to the council beyond a doubt. And Ebenezer asks what happens if he fails. Then perhaps their fears are more justified than your affection, Wizard McCoy. We may indeed conclude that his appointment to full wizard initiate may have been premature. All or nothing. Is that it? You expect the youngest wizard of the council to get the best of Queen Mab somehow? Mab! That's not a trial. That's a goddamn execution. How was he even supposed to know what her request was to begin with? And Harry slowly gets his attention, and he says, I know what Mab wants. She approached me earlier today. And looks like it's sink or swim, then, Harry says. Will you accept this wizard, Dresden? I nodded my head, my throat gone dry. 
As deals went, it blew. But some little part of me that hadn't let me forget all the destruction, maybe even the deaths I'd caused last year, danced gleefully at my apparent comeuppance. Besides, it was the only game in town. <laughs> I, I tightened my grip on my staff and spoke as clearly as I could manage. Yeah, I accept. It wasn't any well-spoken, yes, I accept the challenge, but yeah, I accept. And I love that. That's so perfect. It really, really is. Yeah, no big dramatic speech. Just, no. God no. damn it. Yeah, I accept. <laughs> exactly. And it's very hairy, but that's, it, that makes sense. That's exactly what we would expect from him. So a couple things I want to draw your attention to mm -hmm. and just see, see what you think in this chapter. One, the titles in the council. I thought ancient mind, literally my, on my 700 read throughs, I thought ancient my was just a descriptor basically like that. She's, hey, she's the ancient my ancient they, is capital. Yeah. But, but also, well, no, I knew that, but it was just kind of like a nickname sort of thing, but they refer to her as ancient. Yeah. I think um, she's the most, she's the most ancient of the wizards. Yeah, no, she, she definitely is. And we, we learned that later. I don't even, maybe even through extra textual stuff, but she's like hundreds of years old. She's like ancient. Um, but they refer to her as ancient, not her name, not wizard, whatever her name is. Um, there's the gatekeeper. There's the Merlin. I just thought that was, that was interesting. I thought maybe you would find it interesting as well. Just all the different titles. Um, I, I wonder if there's other titles for the rest of them. I know. That's a good question. Like, does the gatekeeper have a has have a role in the work in the acts of the council? Because we know the Merlin does. Does the ancient? Obviously, the ancient has connections to uh, the Fey, or sorry, the She. Um, it's just well, an interesting, correct? It's just an interesting kind of a uh, idea that I really like. That I didn't know. Yeah, and I, uh, interesting, because that was one of the, the honorifics and stuff. That's why I noticed it, actually, because we had talked mm -hmm. so much about stuff like that. Um, that's kind of cool. I get to get you one. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's also a line that I really liked where I where the gatekeeper is speaking to Harry there. I can't visualize this scene as far as, like, the spacing and, like, where mm -hmm. people go. I, I do have a pretty good imagination. Like, I can rustle up some weird shit and like i don't understand how he ends up having this conversation which is immaterial that's just mostly a, um a personal failing but the line i understand you know how to listen to and listen is capitalized and it's a skill that harry brings up a lot and every time he brings it up he says it's not even magic really uh, when he's trying to figure out how to listen and not figure out how to listen when he's trying to basically be quiet and listen. He, he has a really good sense of hearing, which mm -hmm. basically is great for the plot, right? Um, when you're a private investigator, you get to overhear some extra stuff, but it's also a part of his character by now, or certainly as we move through this, but it's interesting that a, the gatekeeper recognizes that because, you know, Harry's never met Martha Liberty. So presumably he's never met the gatekeeper mm -hmm. and, also, that listen is capitalized, so suggesting well, it, that maybe it is a skill. Uh, like that, a well, and that's skill. that's why I said he does some sort of spell thing that I don't quite understand. <laughs> because that was, and in the way, the way I saw it. Okay, so the first time I read through it, I okay, the way this is pictured in my head is like dinner theater, like everybody's at tables, and then there's the dais, and 
you know, it's basically on stage and there's lights on the stage and that's where all of the senior council is. And um, then everybody else is kind of down lower on the flat and it's a little darker down there. And the first time I thought, well, maybe he walked down and talked to him. But now I'm like, maybe he, like, it's like a, the listen was speaking without words. Does that make sense? Like they were speaking between the sounds. And that's what I thought the listen was. And it was some sort of spell. And he wasn't right that he didn't necessarily have to be right there while he did touch him on the shoulder. In my head, it was that he touched him on the shoulder, but Harry turns around and he's not right there. I know it doesn't, that probably doesn't make any sense, but I, I felt well, that I mean, they could make him rustle up somebody's shoulder for sure. No, I, I like that. Yeah. But I just, that was sort of how I, I've kind of seen I mean, that. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely solves my spacing problem because in my mind, they are having a conversation with words. They're just both really good at listening. And so they can yeah. kind of block out some of the other stuff, but that's an interesting angle as well. I mean, clearly there's no, no right or wrong to that. It's just different interpretations. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just a visual kind of play on it. What do you think about the gatekeeper? I think he's awesome. I can't wait to see what more there is to have to offer. He could go either way. He could be good or he could be bad. But at least he's thoughtful. Yeah, he's definitely deliberative. Um, Is that a word? Deliberate. Yeah, that's that's not the word I want then. He's contemplative? I don't know. He, uh, He, Yeah, he's definitely is very different than the rest of the senior council. I think a lot of them are used to getting their way and kind of being forceful. They're, they're politicians, right? I mean, they're hundred percent. And that's not, not even necessarily a negative. It's when you're running anything, any board you're on or whatever, it's going to be political, right? You're, you're horse trading for votes and, and all that stuff. So like it, that's how these things naturally work. And he clearly stays out of most out of the muck, which is interesting. Um, he also knew the courier was going to come. Yeah. And he asks a question about what day it is. Which I didn't understand why he asked what day it was. What day was it? June 18th. Oh, fuck. So it is summer. Damn it. <laughs> You're right. Oh, we were talking about that last week. Oh, um, yes. Interesting. The summer, the summer Connecticut is happening in summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the double meaning. It's in summer and it's about uh, the summer night. The summer court. So spoiler alert. (laughs) Oh, we're not there yet. (laughs) We sort of are. Um, and I think that's all the thoughts I have on that one. Do you have any other thoughts for you? No, I, I, I love this discussion of it. Right. So chapter seven again. We get a little bit of the breakdown a little bit of lore uh world building more than lore i guess mm-hmm. those, those are similar but i think they're different this is more world building describing yeah. how the council operates right mm-hmm. which is just kind of cool where the wardens showed up in force to escort people home you know through their different paths to, to protect them especially because you know, we're at war right now but they probably would escort some important people anyway and we do learn who those vips were which I love again. Yeah, remember, which was um, we you know we knew last week we there was a section that was roped off for VIPs and representatives of other of of other kind of supernatural groups that they didn't say who it was, and so we learned that it's a few secret occult brotherhoods, for the most part, and just some others you know presumably small 
groups that are siding with the wizards in this war, which is useful. We know we love allies. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget Poland. And each give, gave a brief speech declaring his or her group support, which is great. We love when people come together and hold hands and do things. Community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, so community is great. We're, we're all better together, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, as before the Merlin even says the meeting's adjourned, Harry's already on his way out, and he blasts out of there without talking to anybody. Uh, to do... With all the raging power the ancient four-cylinder engine could muster. <laughs> I love it. Just such a good line. All right. He... he has an interesting conversation with himself. Um, he doesn't have the most positive self-talk. This is this is a very similar conversation to how I'm I am with myself when I'm about to get on a treadmill or I'm about I'm ramping up on a treadmill. Um, very similar, just absolutely ab- abusive. Um, but he he beats himself up a little bit and then decides he's a wizard. You've got a job to do, um, which is again this is a conversation he has basically in every novel, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I don't think it's repetitive so much as this is he's a this is who he is like he. He has to like fight through. He he's never one hundred percent, right? So he's always trying to balance being physically able to get through the day with the big important problems he gets himself roped into. And it, it's one of those we talked about where he's never actually thinking he's going to not do it. I think he's just trying to psych himself up. This is him his yeah. version of blasting. Um, Eye of the Tiger on the CD, you know? Just, I was just going to say Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> um, I was a tiger. Yo, triumphy. <laughs> so he decides he's going to go to... So in an interesting kind of twist of the their normal relationship, he goes to Karen Murphy for help on a case, which I really like that kind of... Mm-hmm flip on its head of their normal relationship right he's he's an, a consultant for her she brings him in on cases that are too tough for them to handle or kind of too spooky and now this one is a little bit too mundane and so he needs to use her expertise i just really like that and it's, a, it's, a, it's a great um example of the balance in their relationship that the first person he thinks of is her yeah because it's true that's the first person he thought of yeah, he's going to trust her with, with something like this is really cool. Think, think about that compared to where we were at a novel or two ago. And you know, he described her as a friend, but he didn't treat her like this, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the lowest we've seen Murphy in the series. Oh, yeah. She's in not a good place. He knocks on the door. She doesn't invite him in. She makes him come in through the threshold, which is great. I love mm-hmm. that even as broken as she is right now, she's still a badass. <laughs> um, this is so weird. I used to not be a Murphy fan and now she's like one of my favorite characters. <laughs> this is really interesting. <laughs> but this is, this shows her humanity. This, oh, absolutely. Her, her flaws, her humanity, her weakness, but the fact that she's letting Dresden see it is also very important. Yeah. She's definitely letting, you know, letting him in, which is, 
something that you can tell she doesn't as her grunts would tell you she doesn't do very often or very well mm-hmm. but she's drinking she's got pills and her first ex-husband has died of cancer and that's not what's really wrong but that's the impetus that's the, the catalyst to get her into this state she broke down from that but obviously she hasn't been the same since mm-hmm. kravos the the nightmare broke into her brain and it violated her brain her. yeah i don't like the comparison to rape specifically um, i think the word violated would have been more appropriate exactly Just straight up and i think that's i mean it's to some degree, it does make sense because it is rape is a violation, but it's, I guess he did take something from her. He took her security from her. Absolutely. It, I just, it's such a specific and destructive thing. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm just spitballing here. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't like it. And it's kind of leaves a bad taste in my, my mouth every single time I, I read yeah. that, that chunk. Um, I, I like the violated a lot better, right? It's, yeah. It's similar but different, right? It, it is I, different. I think it's more. It's a more appropriate word. It's the more accurate description would be violated. But that's absolutely just me. yeah. No, for sure. That was I. I couldn't think of the word, and when you said that, it was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot in this whole scene, and you kind of you kind of see her what she's dealt with, what she's seeing, what she's experienced. And he's trying to understand it. I think he's trying to explain it. And that is the, the complexity of it. I mean, he calls himself a dime store psychologist, which, which I like, which I um, love. That's a good description. I, I end up in that situation. I work with a, a lot of kids in a lot of situations and like, sometimes they're heavy stuff. Sometimes it's like normal day to day things, but it's, very regularly, I just want to say, I don't know what's going on with my life, but it's, I, that's not fair. I'm going to delete that just in case anyone listen, because it's never that I don't want to respond. It's more imposter syndrome, right? Like I, you never oh, know. Yeah. You always, nobody has it figured out basically, but um, I digress, but it's, they have a little back and forth about her first husband. She got married when she was 17, which I'm shocked personally that that one didn't work out. <laughs> I have a back and forth to bring back up Elaine. She, you know, he says, I know how you feel. And she said, do you, did you lose your first love? You know, pretty conveniently. And I love how she was just like, did you, do you actually know what this feels like? And he's like, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think she's a dick there for sure. And he's like, well, I mean, yes, I do actually. Yeah. And no, I, it, it's definitely not, it's a little bit clunky. It's I feel like it's a clunky way to bring up Elaine just to remind the audience that he's had this experience and I actually I thought it was it worked in the scene because she's just such a wreck, such a mess and she's in the what was me pity party kind of moment and he's like yeah no I actually I actually know what that feels like. That's at least how I Kind of saw it. Yeah, no, fair enough. And they have, they have a little bit of a back and forth about Justin. Was that the first time we learned his name at the Justin's? council meeting? Yeah. No, he's, he's, I think he'd mentioned his name before. Okay. 
Because um, that wasn't was, new to me. They gave his full name, Justin DeMorn. I believe so. Right. Yeah, I believe yeah. that might have been the first time. Yeah, which that isn't material to anything. It's just good to know. He gives us some more detail of his confrontation with Justin. Mm-hmm. And it involved using Elaine as a weapon. And we hadn't really seen that side of it, I don't believe, where she was the one that hit him with a binding spell. And she was... So the on top of his father figure, mm-hmm. also his... His love. His everything. You know, his only friend. They grew up together. They're, you know, obviously they're not hanging out with a whole bunch of normies, I wouldn't expect. And so mm-hmm. just a, the, the betrayal and, and Harry, this it goes a long way to explain why Harry's so broken, right? His experiences growing up have not been good at, at, at every turn. It's just been tragedy and, and, and hardship. Um, it, it really does go a long way to describing a lot of his neuroses and stuff. Right. Um, and, well, and it, it's his, his, trauma his yeah triggers his you know all of the bad shit that makes him who he is yeah for sure and, and but it also the uh, sorry sorry no, to cut you off the sorry. other thing i was thinking and that it also makes the situation with um susan that much more tragic yeah something was finally going right and then mm-hmm. i would imagine he hasn't said i love you to very many people yeah uh, probably pretty much zero since Elaine, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's my guess. Yeah. And that's where I would be it. And, um, on the day they break up, basically. So he says it. Yeah. It's a hard knock life for Harry. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they continue to talk about what's going on in her life. She's been having terrors and nightmares. She can't sleep. That's mm-hmm. why she has the Valium and the booze. And she's obviously in a bad way. There's a line where he says, I haven't seen you with a drink in your life. They meet at Max a lot. You don't have to drink when you're at a bar. But it's, yeah. I wonder what, what non-alcoholic drinks Mac has. Because he, he makes his beer. I wonder what else he's yeah. got down there. I don't know. Some good-ass mocktails. So she, he shows her the case file on Ronald Rule. And she recognizes it. Which is interesting. She says, oh, that's Ronald Rule's file. And the... It was ruled an accidental death. They thought the old guy fell down the steps. And she says, what, wait, he think, Harry says he thinks it isn't an accident. And she says, where did you hear that? <laughs> A magic fairy told me. <laughs> I love that exchange. And she starts to like get mad at him like for not telling it, being honest with her, and then realizes, oh, you are being honest. <laughs> <laughs> Our lives are different, which is great. And... She makes him promise that if she's going to help him on this case, he brings her in full stop, 100%. And that's a difficult thing, obviously, for Harry to do historically. He likes to keep play things close to his chest and try to, in an effort to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. But she demands it. And he agrees, which is, again, like a difficult thing for him. And again, shows how far their relationship has come on both ends. It's, it's very much, it's not transactional. It it is a very healthy relationship where they're helping each other because they care about each other and they, you know, they're supporting each other and they're sharing as well, which they clearly is hard for both of them. So really cool character moment that is kind of buried under this 
plot moment, right? And they looked through it, and there one rookie cop, when he got there on the scene, he thought there was like some sticky goo, slippery goo, excuse me, right next to the corpse. But nobody else saw it, so they just kind of ignored it. And we believe this might have been ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. And the reminder is that anything supernatural, anything from the never-never that takes shape, takes form in our world, has to be constructed of something. It needs, it needs a body to be constructed, right? So it uses ectoplasm, which is this slippery goo that they infuse with power, and it turns into whatever it is that it is. So whether it's the bodies like Kravos was using, or if it's, I guess, at one point he says, when you open a, a gate, a when you open a way, his apartorum spell that rips reality, there's dust that'll flicker in from you know, particles from the never-never, and that immediately turns to ectoplasm because it's not being charged. So anytime you open a way, there will be some ectoplasm. So that's what we're seeing here. There's some ectoplasm, which means somebody or something stepped in and out of a way, and that is how they got that poor old man. And Harry very cleverly is starting to put it together. He says, I don't think he was help helpless, Murph. Rule was mixed up with the fairies. I kind of doubt his hands were squeaky clean. I like that. Yeah. She kind of makes him reiterate that he's going to read her in. And then she mm. puts, she re-wraps and re, she, then she redresses his wound. Again, just a good, you know, they care about each other. Mm -hmm. I, that was a good moment. But the other thing I want to point out is in the, in the crime scene stuff, um, as we're g going through it, I'm walking through the book um, as we go. And she says cameras didn't pick up anything either. And there aren't, aren't any bursts of static to indicate someone using magic. I checked. I like that. Yeah, that was really good. Not bad, we, Murph. I love that. Yeah, we learned about that, I think, in Full Moon when they when Marcone mm -hmm. mentioned that there was a burst of static. It's I like that she's putting it together and that's why, you know, they he said that most of the people they shuffle into SI are gone within a year and they're out yeah. of the force. And she's stuck around because she's she believes and she is learning how to deal with these things. And that's, again, just an example of her being a badass. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so he heads out. He goes home. He wants to sleep and eat and sleep. And mostly, he wants to sleep. And he opens up his door. He turns off his wards so he doesn't blow himself up. He goes inside. And he realizes he's not alone. He gets out his blasting rod, gets some power into it. And there, there she was a slender woman standing by my cold fireplace, all graceful curves and poised reserve. It's fine. There's a really weird turn of phrase. Your skin was pale, like the inner bark of an oak. Yeah, weird. What? Her eyes, the gray of storm clouds. <laughs> we did learn that apparently there are actually in the Midwest, there's a lot, there are a lot of gray eyes. It's apparently a trait that is mid nordic or something like that scandinavian and so it yeah that there you go that's probably the word and so that's why i'd never heard of it mm -hmm. because i'm a sad and lonely coastal dude <laughs> who doesn't get to experience fun and exciting traits like gray eyes which apparently happen all over the midwest so that's kind of yeah, cool. very cool that was uh eliza who wrote in and, and helped us out educated us to that with that so that's really cool thank you so much for doing that and now I understand why everyone has gray eyes in this because it takes place in the Midwest. So there you go. So this woman also has those gray eyes. She has a silver pentacle hung outside the shirt. 
resting on the curve of modest breasts. And she puts her hands up and says she let herself in. Hope you don't mind. You really should change your wards more often, which is funny. And she says, hello, Harry. She stands up and kisses him on the cheek. And in a bare whisper, fighting through the shock, Harry says, hello, Elaine. And when I, I was listening to the audiobook, I said, holy shit! Because as we all thought, Elaine was dead. Apparently she's not. What I really like is they've been bringing her up, I think, in every mm-hmm. book, but certainly since Full Moon. And you could be excused for thinking that that was just what happened again at Murphy's, right? They bring her up yeah. and then there's no payoff. And so even though it's immediately after, it still really is shocking oh, because yeah. you don't ex- you expect it to just go away. And that's, I felt why I said I thought it was, seemed a little bit clunky, um, but it really, this is the payoff right away, which I, I really like. And it's a payoff from book novels ago, years ago, that he's peppered in there, which is really, really cool. I love seeing stuff like that. And it, it just, it was well done. It was very well done because it, it did make sense. And that was, I didn't feel it was clunky because it, it made sense in the moment and all of that. Anyway, so Elaine is there and we get a little bit of history, but I do love how he says Elaine walked through it all, his messy apartment, like a Red Cross worker through a war zone and shook her head. I, I know you weren't expecting me, Harry, but I didn't think I'd be overdressed. You live in this? Elaine, I choked out. You're alive. A little less of a compliment than I would have hoped for, but I guess it could have been worse. She regarded me from the near, from near the kitchen. I'm alive, Harry. Her face flickered with a trace of apprehension. How are you feeling? And he's a fucking mess. He's shocked, obviously. He's as hell's bells. This has got to be some sort of trick. No, it's me. If I was something out of the never-never, could I have crossed your threshold uninvited? Do you know anyone else who knows how you set up your wards? Anyone could figure it out eventually. All right. Does anyone else know that you failed your driver's test five times in one week? That you sprained your shoulder trying to impress me going out for football our freshman year? That we soul-gazed on our first night together? I think I can still remember our locker combination if you'd like. Still don't trust her. Don't fucking care. Still don't trust her. (laughs) He says, why didn't you contact me? And she says, I wasn't sure you, I wanted to, wasn't sure you'd want me to. So much happened. He said, that's putting it mildly. You tried to destroy me. And oh no, God, no, Harry, you don't understand. I never wanted that. And then we learn that she was in a thrall. Which is what we learned. You know, we learned just. She was in, she was in thrall. She was an ethral. Enthralled. Same. Yeah, she, she, she was a thrall. Oh, it, I thought it was in. Okay. No, he wanted to make you his thrall. Okay. So he, she was a, she was a thrall. She was under his control. Still don't trust her. And, um, she said, Justin caught me about two weeks before he sent that demon to capture you. So we're getting a little bit of her version of the backstory. And he says, I can't believe you're trying to tell me that the devil made you do it. Do you have any idea how lame that excuse sounds elaine watched me carefully her gray eyes pensive and said it wasn't an excuse harry nothing can excuse the kind of pain i put you through 
then why are you telling me? Because it needs to be said. Because that's what happened. You deserve to know. And he says, I, I looked for you. In fire and water, I had spirits combing the earth for any trace of you, hoping that you'd survived. She pushed away from the wall and walked to the fireplace. I heard her putting in wood, and then she murmured something soft and low. Flame licked up over the logs, easily, smoothly, low and blue, but then settled into a dark golden light. I watched her profile as she stared down at the fire. I got out of the house before you and Justin were finished, she said finally. His spells had begun to unravel, and I was struggling against them. Confused, terrified. I must have run. I don't even remember doing it. But where have you been? I asked. Elaine, I looked for you for years. Years. Well, you couldn't have found me, Harry. You or anyone else. I found sanctuary. A place to hide. But there was a price. And that's why I'm here. Still don't trust her. And um, <laughs> he says, he says, my answer came out at once. For me, chivalry isn't dead. It's an involuntary reflex. It could have been any woman asking for help, and I'd have said the same thing. It might have made, taken me a second or two longer, but I would have. For Elaine, there was no need to think about it for even that long. I'll help. She thanks him, and she says she hates bringing him into it. And he says, okay, well, what do you mean you're paying a price? And she says, it's complicated. But the short version is, I was granted asylum by the summer court of the she. My stomach dropped about 20 feet. I built up a debt to Titania, the summer queen, in exchange for her protection. And now it's time to pay off. She took a deep breath. There's been a murder within the realms of the she. I rubbed up my eyes. And Titania wants you to be her emissary. She wants you to find the killer and prove that the Winter Court is to blame. She told you that you would be contacted tonight by Mab's emissary, but she didn't tell you who it was going to be. Elaine's eyes widened in shock, and she fell silent. Stars and stones, she pushed her hair back from her face with one hand in what I knew to be a nervous gesture, even if it didn't look it. Harry, if I don't succeed, if I don't fulfill my debt to her, I'm, it's going to be very bad for me. Poo boy, I muttered. Tell me about it. Mab's more or less got me over the same barrel. And she says, what are we going to do? And he's, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And he wants to go to the council. And he thinks that, you know, this is the best way to do it. And she refuses. And... Harry is such an optimist. Like, yes. he literally just got back from trying to, like, avoid getting fucked over by them. But he truly believes that they're, they're good, right? Like, I mean, like, why wouldn't they be, like, have her best interest at the end of the day, right? And whether or not they do, it's just, like, like it not probably naive is the word, but optimistic, you know, trusting, those aren't, those aren't bad no. things. He's very optimistic. He 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 does have that very moderately naive, but he he wants to see the good in everything. Yeah. Most definitely. Which is a good quality to have. Yes. So she is you know, she doesn't like the idea of the council. 
And she says, God, Harry, you just can't see it. The council doesn't care about you. They don't want to protect you. They will only put up with you as long as you toe the line and don't become an inconvenience. I'm already inconvenient. I love that. Um, but it's, you know, she has some good points. But he says, you know, when they find out about you, it needs to come from you. You come forward, it's going to cut down on any uneasiness or suspicion they might feel. Suspicion, Elaine exclaimed. Harry, I'm not a criminal. You're just asking for trouble, Elaine. And how are they going to find out about me, hmm? Were you planning on running off to tattle? Of course not, I said. But I was thinking of how much trouble I was going to be in if one of the wardens heard I was associating him with someone who might be a violator of the first law. And one of Justin de Mornay's apprentices at that. With the cloud of disfavor I was already under, adding that kind of suspicion to it might be enough to sink me, regardless of how the investigation turned out. Do I have a great life or what? I won't say anything. It has to be your choice, Elaine. But please believe me. Trust me. I have friends in the council, too. They'll help. You're sure? Yeah. Cross my heart. Two things. She feels like, it feels like she's guilting him. She hasn't seen him in all these years. She's been in hiding. She tried to kill him. She's guilting him. Number two, when they inevitably, when the council inevitably finds out about her, she's going to blame him. This is totally 110%. My, I, this is what I think of this is foreshadowing. She's going to fucking blame him. No matter what happens. I don't trust her. Um, how many times have I said that? Um, I just don't trust her. I don't fucking trust her. Uh, anyway, so we hear a rapping on the door and it, it's, it's Morgan. Open up trader. There are questions I need you to answer. So Harry lets Elaine know with some whisper mouth words that it's the council. And so she shuffles off into the bedroom of his not studio. Hmm. He, uh, she throws him a staff on her way out. And he says, again, Morgan says, Dresden, I know you're in there. Open the door. Or you'll huff and you'll puff and so on. <laughs> Morgan says, am I interrupting anything? Well, I was going to settle down with a porn video and a bottle of baby <laughs> oil, but I really don't have enough for two. <laughs> I love his just. Just snark. Antagonizing. Oh, 100%. Which is fine. I have no problem with because, fuck Morgan, you disgust me, Dresden. Yeah, I'm bad. I'm a bad, bad, bad man. Glad we got that settled. Goodbye, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> and he tries to slam the door on him, but Morgan doesn't let him. It's been one hell of a day. If, you got something to, if you've got something to say, say it. And this is, Ebenezer mentioned last week that the Merlin would have three attempts he'd always he always has three plans he's got his yes. main plan he's got his backup plan and he's got his ace in the hole and with petrovich gone they wanted to to stack the council the senior council rather with a merlin loyalist basically another yes man like like lafortier or mm -hmm. yeah and they beat that one by just using the wizard the wizarding rules against him and they forced ebenezer to have his, his spot on the council that was the first attempt his backup plan was the vote to strip him of his wizardship 
And this is our ace in the hole, we'll find out here as we go. But Morgan blasts in there, and he starts going off about Susan, which is really the wrong thing In this do. moment in time, it's the very wrong thing to do. Yeah, I mean, Harry is just obviously not in a good, good way with respect to her, and now Elaine is just fucking up his entire brain. But he, he suggests that Susan was a plant, that she was with working for the red court all along, which is a very hurtful and mean and b you know, completely obviously without any sort of evidence, mm -hmm. but he's not really using it as evidence. He's just trying to get Harry riled up so that he does something stupid, which I know this might shock you, Lissy, but sometimes our boy, Harry does some stupid things. <gasps> no, <laughs> I know it is not often, not often, just like <laughs> seven or eight times a novel. But he actually pulls his sword. I mean, he gets to the point where he he's ready to he's ready to, to throw blows here, and he catches himself because he realizes this is the plan. This is how they're trying to get him. There's another there's there's another warden outside, and they're going to catch him basically throwing the first punch. Very similar, actually, to Bianca's party, which is an interesting comparison where. I, I just like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe what I'm thinking, but like the fact that Morgan is taking the Bianca role in this should tell him more than it does, and I don't think he realizes that. Have you seen that? Um, it's a sketch from some British sketch comedy, I think, where they're they're Nazis and they're looking at their uniforms. I don't think so. It's really great, but they're they're talking about it. It's like our our uniforms. They've got skulls on them. Like, are are we the baddies? Oh, yeah, I've seen scenes like screenshots of it. Yes. Yeah. The are we the baddies is a. It's just a great. I recommend every single person watch that today. Mm. Stop this podcast and watch that because it's way better than this podcast. I'm just kidding. Listen, nothing's better than this podcast. <laughs> but um, but they're just looking at it like they got skulls on them. Uh, <laughs> but. This should be should really be Morgan's "Are we the baddies?" moment, and it just isn't, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, luckily, Dresden catches it just in time, and he realizes what they're doing. He puts his sword back away and says, "Get out, Morgan! Like, unless you want to shoot an you know attack an unarmed man, get the fuck out of my house, man! I gotta fucking take a nap." And it seems like all's well that is about to end well, and then there's a noise in the bedroom. And at that moment, I said, fucking Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like her. I don't trust her. <laughs> I love that. I love how much you distrust her. It's great. Oh, my God. So completely and utterly. <laughs> so Harry's freaking out because he realizes that he's kind of fucked if he finds Elaine because there's not really any good explanation. Although, honestly, she's she's a summer emissary. Isn't that a good enough reason for her to be there? Like. I don't know. He's hiding her. I think that's where the issue would come in. Yeah, I mean, everything looks suspicious when you hide him in your tiny yeah. little room. But in your, Morgan's... In the bedroom of your Nada studio? Yes, of Nada studio. And Morgan starts to go over there, and luckily, Mr., because Mr. is the best, comes running past him. He says, gosh, Morgan, my cat might be a dangerous subversive. Maybe you better interrogate him. The only note I wrote for this entire, entire chapter was Mr. To the Rescue. Which, would you expect anything less? No, not at all. 
I have strong feelings about Mister. Oh, I recall. <laughs> we love Mister. He takes a business card out. The, the senior count. The senior council members wish me to let tell you that they will be nearby, but they that they will not interfere in this trial or aid you in any way. He gives him a business card and says, "That's the contact number for the senior council. Use it when you have failed the trial." <laughs> Which I love. Bitches. He slams the door and he heads up the steps and Elaine pops out and is like, oh yeah, that's the council you wanted to take me to? That's the one, huh? Which is great. And he's like, well, they're not all like that. Again, <laughs> Harry, enough, enough of them are like that. And so she says, there's no way I'm getting into that. I have no interest. I've survived a long time without the council. I'm going to survive a long time without them still moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so she said she's going to take off. I, the line I like there is, no, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable to men like that. Not again. He puts the suspicion into a different light there. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit. I still don't like her. And you're very entitled to that. <laughs> then Mr. comes back. I love Mr. <laughs> I do too. So ridiculous how how much of a connection, how much of a, an affinity I have for a fictional cat, mm-hmm. maybe cat. Same. So she says she's leaving. Are you going to tell him? He says, "No, of course not." She grabs her stuff and she says, "Can you get the door?" Because they're going to be there watching. So he has to open it, and she's going to veil herself. They won't see me. And he said, "They're good." She shrugged and said, without emphasis, "I'm better. I've had practice." <sighs> what are we going to do about the fairies? I don't know. I'll be in touch. He says, how can I contact you? She says, you, you got the office. And the, again, this is definitely suspicious as well, right? That she doesn't, mm-hmm. she, she said, I'll, don't call me, I'll call you, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's not making this easy she's to trust her. not herself any less questionable. And obviously, Harry doesn't see that because Harry only sees that she has boobs and he must solve her problems. Yes, he wants to save her. And she says she'll call him. She'll be in touch. He opens the door to let her out. And Mr. comes back in. Yay. I'm tired, Mr. I'm ridiculously tired. Well, resting would be the same thing to do. But who am I to throw stones, right? I mean, I'm talking to my cat. Just a minute on the couch. Then to work. I remember sitting down on the couch. And after that... Everything went blissfully black, which was just as well. The next day, things got complicated. Did they ever? He says, I wasn't too tired to dream. Evidently, my subconscious, we've met, and he's kind of a jerk, had something on his mind. He doesn't like him either. No, the dream was on a variation on the theme that had taken up most of my sleeping hours since I'd last seen Susan. The dream began with a kiss. And the green goes along and she bites him. She turns him, or she bites him, she kills him. She completes her transformation. The pleasure of the venom melted my thoughts and they slid free of my flesh, floating over the ground. I looked down on my body beneath Susan, pale and still on the floor, eyes empty. I saw the change take her. I saw her body twist and buck, saw her skin split and rip open. 
I saw something dark and horrible tear its way out, all gaping dark eyes and slippery black hide. Blood, my blood, smeared its mouth. And that kind of woke him up a little bit, wee bit. And he woke up and he was shaking. And he, because he doesn't have a water heater connected, because, you know, magically inspired mishaps, he gets in a cold shower. He says, I stripped and stood under the chilly water for a while, shaking. Not necessarily from cold, either. I shook with a lot of things. First, with raw and mindless lust. The shower took the edge off of that in a few few moments. Don't get me wrong, I didn't have any particular death-sex fixation. But I had been used to a certain amount of friendly tension relieving with Susan. Her absence had killed that for me completely except for rare moments during the damned dreams when my hormones came raging back to the front of my thoughts again, as though making up for lost time. Second, I trembled in fear. My nightmares might be one part lusty dream, but they're also a warning. Susan's curse could kill me and destroy her. I couldn't forget that. And finally, I shook with guilt. If I hadn't let her down... Maybe she wouldn't be in this mess. She was gone, and I didn't have the vaguest idea where she was. I should have been doing more. And he shaves. And I wrote down, shave equals new beginning. He talks about, the way he talks about, you know, he spent a few minutes with a lot of care removing it regarding his beard. And this, the... Dark, wiry black hair fell in clumps to the shower floor, and my face tingled as it breathed its first air for a couple of months. But it felt good. And as I went through the routine of grooming, my thoughts cleared. So it's sort of his moment of clarity of new beginning. I really kind of liked how that's written. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then we have what feels like, I believe this is a bit of a, I can't think of the word, but so he goes down into his lab and he talks about how it looked like something run by a particularly anal retentive military clerk. Except the last couple of books, it was a red hot mess. And he talks I mean, about it, how everything is in order and everything's perfect. But before, like in, even in, in um, Stormfront, he had to dig through stuff to find ingredients. Yeah, but so, I think that's just because there was a lot of them. Okay. Uh, and then he says, one area of the lab had retained the casual chaos, then has, then, okay, this actually makes a little bit more sense with this, this statement, I didn't even realize. One area of the lab had retained the casual chaos that had been its major theme before I'd taken up nearly full-time residence last year. One shelf, still battered old wood, hadn't been changed or updated. Candle holders covered in multiple shades of melted wax that had spilled down over them, sat at either end of the shelf. Between them was a scattering of various articles, a number of battered paperback romances, several Victoria's Secret catalogs, a scrap, a scarlet scrap of silk ribbon that had been tied into a bow on the naked young woman named Justine, one bracelet from a broken set of handcuffs, and a bleached old human skull. Bob, wake up, I said, lighting candles. I need to pick your brain. Bob wakes up, and he says, so the kid was right? Was there some portent-type action going on? Ran a toads, I said. Real ones, 
Yeah. Ouch, said Bob the Skull. Then we get a little bit more of the backstory on Bob, which we've already gotten. And he says, uh, Bob, I've got a kind of difficult situation here. And Harry, you aren't going to be able to do this. There is no cure for vampirism. I like Susan too, but it can't be done. You think people haven't looked for a cure before now? I haven't looked for one before now, I said. And I've had a couple ideas, and I have a couple ideas I want to look at. I can't may have our har 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 har. We'll get down that white devil, sir. Damn right we will, but first we've got something else to do. Bob's eyelights brightened. You mean something other than hopeless, pointless vampire research? I'm already interested. Does it have to do with the reign of toads? Maybe it's a murder investigation. And he's then Harry gives Bob a little bit of story here. He says, I don't know a thing about it, but Mab says he was killed. She wants me to find her killer and prove that it wasn't her. Bob fell into a shock silence nearly a minute long. My pen scratched on the paper until Bob blurted, Mab, the Mab, Harry. Yeah. Queen of air and darkness, that Mab? Yeah, I said impatient. And she's your client? Yes, Bob. Here's where I ask why you don't spend your time doing something safer and more boring, like maybe administering suppositories to rabid gorillas. I live for challenge, I said. Or you don't, as the case may be, Bob said brightly. <laughs> Harry, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You don't get tangled up with the she. It's always more complicated than you thought it would be. Thanks for the advice, Skullboy. It wasn't like I had a choice. Leah sold her my debt. Then you should have traded her something for your freedom, Bob said. You know, some, you know, stolen an extra baby or something and given it to her. Stolen a baby? I'm in enough trouble already. Well, if you weren't such a goody two-shoes all the time. I just love Bob. So good. He's fantastic. And then he says, look, Bob, can we stick to the subject, oh, please? Time is important, so let's get to work. I need to know why Ruel would have been knocked off. Gee whiz, Harry, Bob said. Maybe because he was the summer night. And this was a little bit of a surprise. This means trouble, Harry says. It means, it means things with the she are more complicated than you thought. Gee, if only someone had warned you at some point not to be an idiot and go making deals. How much trouble am I in? A lot, said Bob. The knights are entrusted with the power of the she courts. They're tough. We learn a little bit more about the knights and the queens. A she knight is mortal, Bob said. A champion of one of the she courts. He gets powers in line with his court, and he's, on and he's the only one who is allowed to act in affairs not directly related to the she. Meaning? Meaning that if one of the queens wants an outsider dead, her knight is the trigger man. I frown. Hang on a minute. You mean the queens can't gun down anyone who isn't in their court? Not unless the target does something stupid like making an open-ended bargain without even trying to trade for a baby for... Off topic, Bob. Do I or don't I have to worry about getting killed this time around? Of course you do, Bob said in a cheerful tone. It just means that the queen isn't allowed to actually personally end your life. They could, however, trick you into walking into quicksand and watch you drown, turn you into a stag and set the hounds after you, bind you into an enchanted sleep for a few hundred years, that kind of thing. I guess it was too good to be true. But my point is, is that if Ruel is a summer knight, Mab couldn't have killed him, right? So why should she be under suspicion? And he, I love how he says, knights come and go like paper cups. But the only thing they really care about is the power. And... Harry says, Mab said something had been taken and that I'd know what it was. I guess that's it. How much power are we talking about? 
So there's a lot of power here. And Harry says, so we're talking about a lot of magic going AWOL. Grand theft mojo. Where does the power come from originally? The queens. Tell me if I'm off track here. If it comes from the queens, it's part of them, right? If a knight dies, the power should snap back to the queen like it was a rubber band. Exactly. But this time it didn't, so the summer queen is missing loads of power. She's been weakened. There's no more balance between summer and winter. Hell, that could explain the toads. That's a serious play of forces, isn't it? So here we learn that, you know, shit's gone awry. Bad shit can happen. It can, a war could start the next ice age or set up an, off an errant of rampant growth. And Harry says, that last one doesn't sound so bad. No, not if you're an Ebola virus. You'll have lots of friends. <laughs> so bad things Bob. are going to happen. So to find out if it was one of the queens, we'd need to find her hitter. How tough would it be to kill one of these knights? We learned that it's very hard. A flight of stairs wouldn't do it. A couple flights of stairs would, wouldn't do it. Maybe if he went on an elevator ride with you. <laughs> I, love, I love Bob. I love how he's just, you know, he says a wizard could do it, but you'd have to go, he'd have to be a pretty brawny wizard, have plenty of preparation and a good channel to him. And even then, smoking craters would be an easier accident. And so Harry says, okay, there's got three people on our list. Summer queen, winter queen, winter night. One, two, three. Harry, I said it could have been one of the queens. There are more than two? Yeah, technically there are three. Three in each court. Three queens in each court? Six? That's just silly. Not if you think about it. Each court has three queens. The queen who was, the queen who is, and the queen who will come. Great. Which one does the knight work for? All of them. It's kind of a group thing. He has different duties to each queen. Uh, okay, Bob, I need to know about these queens. Which ones? The ones who are, who were, or who are to come. There's got to be a simpler parlance than that. That's so typical. You won't steal a baby, but you're too lazy to conjugate. Hey, my sex life has nothing to do with conjugate, Harry. Conju- Why do I even bother? The queen is just the queen. Queen Titania, Queen Mab. The queen who was is called the mother. The queen who is to come is called the lady. Right now, the winter lady is Maeve. The summer queen is Aurora. Or the summer lady is Aurora. Lady Queen Mother, gotcha. Plus the Winter Knight. So we've got six people who could have done this, plus the Winter Knight. So there's seven. I wrote down the titles and then tapped the book, the notebook thoughtfully and said, eight. Elaine's alive. She's on the investigation for summer. Wow. Wow. And I told you so. I know. I know. You think she might have gacked Ruel? I love that. And Bob says, you know, Elaine was a, a stronger wizard than you. She had a lot going for her that you didn't. Grace, style, elegance, breasts. So ridiculous. She's on the list until I find some reason she shouldn't be. How jaded and logical of you, Harry. I'm almost <laughs> proud. I love that. I love it. And then we're trying, we don't know who the winter night is. Bob doesn't know. He says his contacts on the winter side are kind of sketchy. And so Harry's going to go to Ralph's funeral to see what he can turn up. And Harry, Bob said just before I left, I stopped and looked at him. For what it's worth, be careful. You're an idiot about women, and you have no idea what Mab is capable of. <laughs> and then he says, and then I clomped back up the stepladder and went out to borrow trouble. So we learned a lot in this chapter. Oh, yeah. Bitch is I, back. So Bob serves as kind of the he's a tool for exposition right i mean that's i mean literally in universe even right he's a 
spirit of intellect. Like he he's there to help Harry no no stuff. So it makes sense mm-hmm. and it's a really good tool narratively. But they're all so entertaining. <laughs> yes. He it's but, the way Butcher does it is he does it so well. Yeah, I mean he just he doesn't make it stand out as clunky or um mm-hmm. expositioning. I mean it's just it literally is obviously he's getting the explanation but we're getting it and it just feels so natural. You I mean you mm-hmm. you mentioned it kind of the uh in Stormfront how just it it feels like you're there and it's not boring. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a natural flow of information. Part of it's because he's making fun of him the whole time. Yeah. Which I love. Very much so. But it's just a really good it's a great way to do exposition, right? I mean, make the scene entertaining. <laughs> yeah, that was, we, I think we mentioned it on or off the podcast where Game of Thrones, their way to make, it's such a dense series of novels with so many intertwining characters and subplots that you just, there wasn't room to show all of it, so they had to tell, and they came up with uh, sex position. Mm-hmm. So anytime they were doing an exposition dump, they'd do it with titties, basically. There's, they do, their, ex, their exposition dumps were often during sex scenes. So that it wasn't. I love that. Yeah, it's a, again just make your make your exposition entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, a spoonful of sugar, right? Like, and both. Yeah, you know, it's just a really good way to do it without. Because it's entertaining. To it's entertaining as well as informative. Yeah, exactly. I love. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it one of my quotes, but I don't think I'm going at this point. I, I start with a bunch, <laughs> but uh, you could just found uh, stolen an extra baby for her or something. With, which presupposes that there's already an amount of babies being stolen, uh-huh. and that's just par for the course, and that's normal. Like, yeah, he's assuming that Harry should have a normal stolen baby tithe, and just you know, just add one or two extra babies onto onto your already your list of already stolen babies. I just love <laughs> I, that's so Bob though. Oh yeah, his you know his lack of morality. He, he, this is one of those human things, right? Where he just mm-hmm. doesn't get it. I just love that. Beyond that, any other thoughts? Or you want to hop in? I I. I think we're, that's if we're good. I like the things that we learned, the queens, the knights, the whole kit and caboodle. But I love that Bob knew it. You know, Bob knew it all. And we're just uh, being presented it at the same time Harry is. Yeah, and it's interesting that he doesn't have contacts as, as good on the winter side. I mean, I, that could just be a narrative choice to make it mm-hmm. so that we don't get it all in one scene. I feel but- like, though, he would have caused trouble with someone at some point. <laughs> That's sort of how that's sort of how I interpreted it. Yeah, my contacts on the winter side are kind of sketchy. What did you do? <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know, goodness. That's just how I view Bob. Yeah, I would imagine Bob pisses people off once in a while. Oh yeah, probably more than once in a while. <laughs> probably less so now that because uh, Harry doesn't let him out so much. Well, and Harry's too busy pissing everyone off himself. That too. Um, any more questions or thoughts? I know we went through it kind of as we went through yeah, the chapters I, today. It's easier uh, for me to ask the lower questions as we go. Yeah, and I like that as well. I, I, mostly what I want, I, I want to do that as we go and then just kind of have a catch-all mm-hmm. at the end, anything we kind of missed or forgot to mention. Yeah. Um, or that comes up as we're talking. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't know the best way to do this. This is my first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we do it pretty well. Oh, hey, bro, true. don't fix it. But yeah, so what, um, any, any lingering thoughts here left as we get to the end of that chunk here? Not that I can think of. Yeah, I really liked 
like I said, I mean, I've, I mentioned this a couple times before, but like Game of Thrones, I love. And I don't give a shit about the dragons or the magic or anything like that. Like, I just love the mundane side of all of this. I mm-hmm. love the political machinations of the White Council. Mm-hmm. Shit like that that obviously would exist in a, in a situation like this because it has to. Yeah. Like, any group that's going to be a- around that long is going to have some body... And any body that exists is going to have some level of political machinations. And you can try to limit that, certainly. And there's a, one of the Hitchhiker's Guide books where it's like, the people most interested in running a, a government are the ones least inclined to do so. Hmm. Basically the idea. If you, yeah. want, if you want power, you're the wrong person to have power. Um, yes. Which is both a great thought and also just amusing, amusingly phrased that way. But there's just no way it wouldn't get exactly like this. I mean, this organization has been around for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. I'm not really sure. I guess we get a context clue of the name of their head honcho. Um, yeah. I love, I love the machinations. I love learning how they pick the, the senior council. So it's based on seniority, mm-hmm. but they can sometimes bypass the seniority, which is interesting. You know, it sounds like McCoy has turned down a spot a few times and now he, you know, because he needs the vote. He's going to take the spot. There's obviously tension between the European and the American wizards. You know, they're saying there's, there's already too many Americans on, on the senior council. Mm-hmm. So I, I, know, I, I just love shit like that. That's what I, I love. I mean, I, I like the fantasy stuff, obviously, because that's why we're here. <laughs> but like where they anchor it, like the mundane stuff is really cool. I like yeah. knowing how the police operate in this universe. I like knowing you know, how the legal system operates with vampires existing. You know? <laughs> like, I read something recent uh, about world building when you're a writer and the best way to wor- build your world isn't figuring out how, you know, horrible things happen, but how does this person spend their day? Interesting. Which is a reasonable, like, you know, how someone goes to school, how someone, what their work life is like, how their political system is built. Like, and that makes sense. That is, is, does so much more for world building than all of the crazy spells and all of that. Cause you learn more about who these people truly are. And I like that. Yeah. No, that's great. I've been on a kick lately of watching different uh, writers and authors um, in different media just tell their, like, their process. Mm-hmm. And I've ta- already talked about it. Um, was it on the pod or did I just talk to you about it? I don't it? know. How Jim Butcher asks, a, he calls asking a question. That's how he builds scenes. I love that. I don't know if it was um, on the pod or, but I, I mean, I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so he describes every, every scene as a question. You ask a question and then throughout the scene, they answer it. Yes. This one's really boring. Like everything, Hey, everything's resolved. We solved the problem. Let me answer the question. Um, more likely it would be yes, but mm-hmm. right? they solve one thing, but they find another problem or another thing they have to solve. And then, um, there's no, we don't solve it. And his personal favorite is no. And furthermore, (laughs) I love that, which is why he piles on Harry and just, you know, puts him in worse and worse spots as we go through this. But a lot of authors, I love that where it's, they have so much fun and, and filmmakers do do it, but where they. They treat their their lead character, main characters, atrociously. I mean, it was the 
the old joke back before he was a piece of, a known piece of shit was a uh, yeah. Joss Whedon, George R. R. Martin, and I forget the third person walk walk into a bar. Everyone you love dies. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. I mean, it's it's. I don't want to say cheap because it's not cheap at all. Like if you get genuine emotion, that's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Like it's difficult. Like that. That's the fucking crap. That's the whole point of writing, right? And it's a difficult balance of not going to the well too often. You yeah. know, like you don't want it to feel forced or expected. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not a writer, so this isn't me explaining well, it, how to do and stuff. With what Butcher does, in my this is just my perspective on it, is that. He puts his hero through the ringer because it shows who his hero is and it's necessary for his world. Because when your hero never fails, it gets boring. Oh, absolutely. And he fails spectacularly. And it's kind of great. Those are, the most, those are some of the most fun, fun moments. Oh, yeah. But- uh, he definitely talks about how he loves torturing Harry and by proxy, the audience, uh, <laughs> the readers, I yeah. guess. I love it. Fully support it. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, the, we learned a little bit more about the way the fairy courts work um, with the multiple. I, I was talking about this offline. But it really should have been. I don't want to just sound so critical. I, I really don't. I love these novels. I love Jim Butcher's a fucking god. Um, but I feel like it really should have been Maiden Mother Crone. Wait, what? Maiden Mother Crone is how usually the three... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The three aspects are. Uh, and then, I mean, maybe that was intentionally going away from that trope. Pro- that's probably what it was. Um, it just feels like a lot of the lore we have is stuff that we've heard and seen before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would have been... Uh, I don't know, just a thought. Not necessarily a real criticism yeah. or anything like that. Just, just th- a alter pers- alternate perspective. And bringing, and bringing um, in historical elements of, a, of this type of lore. Yeah, I like, I like that uh, we learned about what the knight's function is. Um, that's kind of cool that each, each queen gets a hitman. Oh, yeah. um, a wet works guy, which is fun. And just, to, you know, again, oh, don't worry, the, sh- the fairies can't hurt you. I mean, they have a full-time employee who can, but don't worry about yeah, it. Right. It's fine. I love it. Um, yeah. Nothing else sticks out at you? I don't think so. Nothing is uh, beating me in the face at this moment. I just will have more to talk about as he, he pops up later on. I um. Some of, these, some of these characters do circle back towards the end of the novel that we've met. Um, and I just wonder if... Uh, it's like hearing your, your thoughts on as, as new situations and characters and, and themes and lore pop hmm. up. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't a very robust set of chapters. I mean, a lot happened, yeah. you know, like as far as like, Elaine, the council's... You know, Harry might not be a wizard, you know, all that, but... It really wasn't, I don't know how to describe it, because it, it's a lot, but it was pretty short, and it, I don't know. It wasn't life-altering, really, even though there were some big reveals. I guess Elaine coming back was probably the big one, and I, I love how skeptical you are of her. Um, 
I mean, you naturally, you should be certainly. I mean, but I don't have very Harry strong just, feelings towards her at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Every two minutes, don't like her, don't trust her. Also, think again. It's a sign of Harry's maturation that he's able to not trust yes. her, but not blindly trust yeah. her. Right? Like trust, but verify. To quote a terrible human being, but you know, once in a while, stop the clock. It's right twice a day. Twice a day. But, you know, that, and that was the thing where I was like, I was very proud of him when he um, said that she was the eighth person to Bob. I was like, good job, Harry. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, and again, like not because he's mistrusting for me. It's just he wouldn't have been able to separate her femininity and place in his past life with her ability to be a suspect in this case. He wouldn't have been able to do that in the past, I don't think. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. No, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have had that ability to um to separate her out to make that reasonable choice to be suspicious of her. Yeah. I mean again, you know, it's suspicious. It doesn't necessarily need to be suspicion, right? It's just like kind of a normal Check it up on it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it certainly is suspicious. That's, I'm not saying trying to correct you or say it's the wrong word. I just, I don't want it to sound like he's being a no, dick. No, I don't see you him know, being I, a dick. I'm suspicious of her. Yeah, no. no, you're being a dick for sure. <laughs> that's okay. But that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like her. Uh -huh. I don't like her at all. Yikes. All right. Um, what'd you have on the yikes front? Um, the only yikes I wrote down is, so Harry and Elaine were adoptive siblings? And yes. And they got it on? I mean, yes, but they weren't, like, they weren't siblings. I know they weren't technically siblings, but still, that was one of those, like, ooh. No, I mean, like, even, like, in that context, like, they were both apprentices. Yeah, no, I know, but it, I, that was my only yikes, where I was like, ooh. Um... But yeah, that was my, my moment. <laughs> that was the only yikes I had. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean, it was relatively clean. I mean, his description of Elaine really wasn't that bad. No, was it wasn't. Um, I think he mentioned her breasts two or three times in there, but, you know, you can't, you can't win them all. Um, I did, uh, again, because I love Bob, I, I find it more funny than yikesy, but on his shelf, he has a new decoration. The bow, yeah. Just no, I'm not surprised. The, the, I was surprised that that didn't even like register. Yeah, not even at all. Didn't even register as something like yikesy. She's like, oh yeah, that, that's something Bob would keep. Hundred percent. I just thought I thought it was more funny. Oh, yeah, it was. I, I agree. It's a nice little throwback. Uh, but I do love those. Yeah. I do love those little throwbacks. Trying to remember anything else in here. That's the only yikes I had, honestly. All right, what um, what do you have for quotes of the week? All right, let me. I've changed how I've um, done my highlighting in the Kindle here, so I can just separate it by color. I feel like I'm brilliant. Let me tell you, this is while he was with the council, and he says, "I wanted to kick myself. Somewhere out there was a village I deprived of its idiots." <laughs> the next one was when he's with Murphy. And, you know, that she noticed there wasn't any static or anything like that. And she says, yeah, sometimes I use my head instead of my gun. 
Um, I have two more. Sorry, it's a lot. When, do you when he tells Morgan, don't let the door hit you on the brain on the way out. <laughs> that was one of mine. That was one of mine. Sorry. It's all good. And the last one was, it's a couple of lines. So Bob says, so what are you going to take? Uh, what are you going to take out and out in the paper or what? When he's talking about looking for the winter night. I went, in there, I went around the lab and started snuffing candles. I thought I'd try a little breaking and entering. Then I'll go to his funeral, see who shows. Gosh, can I do fun things like you when I grow up? <laughs> I just love Yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. Sorry, I, that was just spectacular. <laughs> no, that's not saying sorry, Leslie. We have similar taste. I, I just love good... it. Let me get to this one. Oh, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed that. And I like my new uh, method of highlighting quotes because it makes life easier. <laughs> the real winner for this week's mm-hmm. podcast. My favorite one of the week was, what can I say? I live for a challenge. <laughs> or you don't, as the case may be. Very good word yes. right there by Bob. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. And then obviously the two that you stole. <laughs> and so we'll throw it back to chapter uh, seven where he drives away in the Blue Beetle with all the raging power the ancient four-cylinder engine could I love that so much. I just love the turn of a phrase where it's just this snark. and But that's also kind of like I... Snark and sarcasm is like my... I'm, I'm, it's my second language, you know? I'm very fluent in those languages. And it's just... It's fantastic. It's... Uh, English, snark and sarcasm, and then dark humor. Those are the languages I am fluent in. <laughs> Which often go hand in hand. I can find a bathroom in Spanish. Ah, I can find the, po- the pool and, and the kitchen in Spanish. Donde esta la piscina? Si. No, I, I used to actually be like, not conver- never conversational, but I used to be like pretty good. Like I could get around Spanish. I just haven't. I can read it decently. I can read it better than I can speak it or listen to it. But I'm also a very visual person, so. I was actually like, because I was a, I was a history major, mm-hmm. but because of the nature of, I was focused on um, modern Latin America, like post-Columbian mm-hmm. Latin America. And there's a lot of overlap with, like, I was like one paper and one class away from being a Spanish minor. I took zero Spanish classes. That's awesome. <laughs> just because of the way you can double dip them. Um, but I would have had to take one Spanish class and then I would have had to write like a 20 page paper in Spanish. So I figured it probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but or at least I certainly would have been a very long evening. <laughs> and yes, I meant every word in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So, um, do you have a crackpot theory this yes. week? And this is a continuation of a past crackpot theory. And I know you're shocked. It's about Mr. Mr. Is supernatural. I feel like he's Faye or he's something. His timing is impeccable. And also, it was pretty it great. It really, really was. And also, Elaine's a bad guy. That's not a crackpot theory, though. That's just, that's just speaking with my heart. <laughs> That can isn't that both? Maybe. I like the more mundane ones where you just guess the, the plot. I like those a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Elaine's gonna be a bad guy. 
Obviously. I was trying to come up with who the winter night might be, but I'm like, it's going to be somebody we don't know. The summer night's somebody we don't know. So I figured the winter night is going to be someone we don't know. So that was where I went with that. A, cl- a clever deduction, Watson. Hey. Mama didn't raise no idiots. Well, she did. Just none of them are on this podcast. But I'm You're such a dork. I'm, j- I'm joking. I know. I wasn't talking to you when I said that. I was talking to Aaron Brennan Miles when I said that. <laughs> I don't think any of them uh, listen. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they will at, at some, some point. point. There you go. Plan for all possible outcomes, Liz. Good call. All right. So next week, we're going to do chapters 11 through 15. Certainly the mystery starts to pick up a little bit. We get some more info on that. Um, our she lore expands we get more of that mm. so should be a good chunk um i think we have any big action sequences coming up but um i don't recall so maybe we do but uh i guess there's one one little one but yeah no so there's should be a good chunk i, I haven't made it a secret that this isn't my favorite of, of the novels um you've said that about every book so far we've read well i'm just a negative person <laughs> i like great peril okay there you go now, the first two suck. Grave Peril's good. This one's iffy. And I don't remember what the next one. Oh, the next one's great. Good. The one after that's okay. The one after that is great. And then I don't even remember. Oh, it'd be small favor. No, that's not small favor. Ten small favor. What's, what's eight? Oh, yeah, eight's good. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. We got some. We got good shit. Awesome. Um, again, that's a, not to say this is bad by any means. It's just, I don't, I don't really care for Elaine, I guess. I don't know. It's not, not a thrilling. It's okay. <laughs> either way uh we will see how these how these things progress but we have uh yeah five more chapters coming at you been trying to keep up with all the replies on emails and stuffs definitely want to help us out the best thing you can do is find somewhere that rates podcasts and give us a rating even if it's not a perfect rating which I don't, can't believe you would do that to my sister, but <laughs> if that's something you're looking to do, any ratings are good. It just, it just drives the engagement. So um, we would love to have you. Um, just keep on listening. Keep on existing. Keep on being the spectacular people you are. And yeah, I just, I, I love it. So thank you guys so much. Novel's going to pick up a little bit next week. And mm-hmm. I am going to be out of town next weekend. I'm going up to NorCal, as they say um for a wedding but also for a quick visit with my favorite co-host <laughs> of the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault so that should be fun heck yeah we're going to max out our excitement and yeah life is good so thank you guys so much uh hit us up on the podcast was on fire at gmail at mastodon at facebook the pod was on fire on twitter and I don't even know what else. I think that's I think that's yeah, that about covers or, it. You know, drop us an email. We're good. We're really. What's our truth? What's our truth? Social? <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't have truth social. Um. I. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got. I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this time we're actually going to get it out on Sunday as planned. I say on Tuesday, planning that. <laughs> but I was planning that last week. It was a very long weekend full of work. And they, when they pay you, they expect you to do stuff. And that's pretty fucked up, Weird. I say. 
because I didn't want to do stuff. <laughs> and nobody asked me. I understand that. It was a very long uh, weekend for me, too, and I understand. But you're the uh, editor. <laughs> Life is good. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. And the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Y'all ready for this? We got to. Y'all ready for this? Yes. Half hour in. Um, <laughs> We're just shooting the shit. All right. Hi, this is me unlocking the door and you keep pulling the handle. Hey, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa.